Hello, Fighting in the War Room listeners. Uh, this week's episode has some shaky internet from a few of our participants. I attempted to fix it in post, but also uh, left in several references we made while recording the show to that happening. Just a little heads up. Lassie! Oh, in honor- cool. oh my god, that reference is so old. I just realized that's like not even my generation. <laughs> Did you watch Lassie growing up? I mean, I did, but reruns. Uh, in honor of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, what cinema's <laughs> most likable animal? I'm Katie Rich. I did watch Lassie growing up on reruns, uh, and I panicked and uh, thought of Wally's cockroach friend who gets squished by tire treads and keeps mm. on going. Uh, I am Matt Patches, and I'm also under the gun here. I, I, we didn't have a lot of time to think, so the first one that came to mind was the bunny from Hop. Uh, voiced by Russell <laughs> Brand and partnered to James Marsden. Uh, the body possibly the least. Has anyone the, the watched this movie likeable? ever again? Yes, we have watched it um, really? at some point within the last few years. Uh, Russell Brand. Russell Brand's whole period of stardom is one of those things that I lived through and cannot now explain. Katie and I saw this movie on like a Saturday morning together. I we definitely did? recall seeing Hop with you. I, I don't remember that, that at all. Oh, I believe Katie forgot seeing Hop with you. That's the only Easter movie that's not about. It's a treasured. That's the thing. Is this the only Easter movie other than like the Ten Commandments, which is really a Passover movie? Ooh, all right. I'm Dave with the seven. I'm going to go with <laughs> Caesar from the new Planet of the Apes uh, simply because he rebels. I'm David Ehrlich. I feel like I should protest this question on principle that Rocket Raccoon, the most noxious character in the greater wow. Guardians of the Galaxy I didn't say universe, that. I've seen the provoke... movie. I didn't say Rocket Raccoon was the an- most likable animal. Oh, is there another? Is there another more likable animal in the movie? David, there are so many animals There's that horrible things oh, okay. happen to in this movie. Wow. Uh, um, People should be warned. Uh, I have not seen this movie. I don't intend to see this movie. I was able to dodge that bullet. But, I'm seeing it for uh, the podcast hmm. uh, next week. You're going to see it, right? Am I? Am I? Oh, am I? The lightning so. round. Uh, snap, snap. I, uh, man, Did I most, see I, mean, I, I think Katie got it right. I don't know. What about the, no, I'm going to go with the cockroach who uh, invited itself to the Met Gala last night and then died in its efforts to get inside. Just like Carl Lagerfeld would have wanted. I have no <laughs> idea what you just said, David. It sounded oh, like an Zoom answer, is telling me that my Zoom is telling me that my internet connection is unstable. Katie, when you listen back to the episode... <laughs> You'll be able to find, it, find out with the rest of us. Great. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 427, Pandemic 169. It is the week of Wednesday, May 3rd. Uh, that's the day that in 2014, you all went to my wedding. Uh, oh, wow. It's also the day, uh, oh, yeah, hey. happy wedding anniversary to me, nine years. Um, what and it's also the day that in... What's that? What do you remember about your wedding? Sorry to cut you off. I'm very curious. <laughs> uh, uh, a lot? I don't feel like I remember, uh, I remember about your my wedding, wedding uh, vividly. Yeah, and there's a podcast episode about it, I believe, that people can listen to. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel much more importantly, I have to say, it's the day that in 1976, Britain's Trade Union Congress (laughs) called for the country's first ever general strike. It began at one minute to midnight in support of striking coal miners and lasted nine days. Now, what do you remember? General strike. Uh, I remember a lot about that general strike, um, and it helped me prepare for our upcoming segment where we'll talk more about strikes. 
Uh, strikes, strikes, strikes. I love a wedding uh, where I get a text message that says you're at the wrong wedding. That's what I remember from Katie's <laughs> yeah, wedding. I remember you running up to the ceremony. There was a pool. Yeah. I remember that. There was a pool at your wedding. Uh-huh. Yeah. People, uh, people yeah. And the, the wedding, Dave, the wedding you went to was across the street, right? Uh, something like that. Uh, yeah. Luckily, I was looking for uh, other people who were like, you're not here, which is <laughs> yeah. super fun. That that was a childhood friend of mine who happened to be getting married across the street. That's what happens when you grow up in a small town. Uh, yeah, my wedding was really fun. In a band. I mean, we, How do you feel yeah, about wedding band. bands? I mean, obviously you feel good about. Them. Can we talk? Well, about- I miss I miss going to weddings so much and dancing to like live music from a band that's just playing like fun goofy covers where my friends are all there. Like, what's not to like? I would say even better than the band was the fact that you had a ring of food trucks. Mm-hmm. Which well, uh, well, that was the I day enjoyed. after we had a ring of. Uh, food we just tried mm-hmm. to feed you all as uh, much as possible as long as as long as i'm getting fed in some sort of ring formation apparently i'm very happy <laughs> i mean david had a celebrity uh live music at his wedding so maybe we'll get to that at his, wow. his wedding anniversary in the near future we have episodes about all of this search wedding search marriage we have episodes search about marriage. all these things uh david do we have any reviews uh, believe it or not, and I, I, it's been so long since I've been able to say this on this show, not because we haven't had reviews, but because I haven't been here to read them, but we do. Yeah. Uh, we do have a review that I will read for you now, if I may be so bold. Um, let's see what it says. KCHNC says, a thoughtful mix of topics. Five stars. I've only been listening for about six months, but I love the host's approach to film is both approachable and artistic. In parentheses, Top Gun and After Sun in one conversation. Sign me up. Closed parentheses. Also love that they are unafraid to have longer episodes that go where they may. Brightens the end of my week as a middle school teacher in North Carolina, Katie. Hey, who neighbors. Who is desperate for smart banter among adults. Uh, to the people of North Carolina, uh, first of all, thank you very much, KCHNC. Very helpful review. To the people of North Carolina, I just want to say... The Rangers would have absolutely smoked you had they gotten out of their first round series against the Devils. They didn't. They choked. Uh, they were slow and uncreative and probably deserved to lose despite all their talent. And now I suspect, unfortunately, because I hate the Devils and want them to die in a fire, that the Devils will also smoke the Carolina Hurricanes. But uh, what can you do? At least you have Katie Rich in your state. That's something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could leave us reviews on the I- Apple iTunes podcast app whatever it's called i think it's just called the apple podcast Podcast app if you're in the u.s uh if you're not in the u.s you could still leave us a review on your local podcast app but make sure to pass it on to us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com here's one from a listener in the uk named Catherine. review Somewhat shamefully, I've never left a Fitware review, even though I've been listening since around 2011. Back then, I was just an undergrad studying film while Fitware went by another name, and the hosts were probably not long out of university themselves. Now the hosts have grown up, and many of them have kids. Well, I went on, why would, well, I went on to become a university, university lecturer in film studies specializing wow. in kids' horror media. Yeah, I carved Whoa. out a niche. Kids horror. Wow, that is yeah. special. That's all of so, uh, uh, Katie's children's movie going experiences. All I can think of is Goosebumps, which I feel like is a very solid thing to base your uh, <laughs> academic career around. So while I find almost all the discussions on the podcast to be valuable and entertaining, even the ones about poo, my ears always prick <laughs> up a little bit when they get around to talking about their own kids' tastes and viewing habits, the state of kids' media industry, and why it's good to take your children to see Titanic. 
With some exceptions, e.g. David's Vendetta against CG animation, I appreciate how thoughtful and respectful the hosts are about their children's viewing, while Dave can be riled upon to br- relied upon to bring the technical and industry know-how. While I do not have kids of my own, I like to think that these discussions are informative for parents and guardians and are helping to foster cinephilia and the next generation of moviegoers, which, the era, which in the era of streaming is urgently needed. Anyway, with all this in mind, I thought I'd pri- finally provide a review of the podcast by responding to a question the host posed months, even years ago. What are the horror pop culture texts that define the childhoods of Gen Z? I'm not a member of Gen Z, but given my line of work that involves talking about children's horror with actual Zoomers, I feel like my perspective is probably at least second best. Here are my findings with fresh insights from the class I taught today. When I talked to th- about this topic with my students... One of the key movies that comes up is Coraline, which seems to be revered and feared in equal measure. Mm. Pirates of the Caribbean and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory also got to mention. Aside from these, I'm often pleasantly surprised by which text from my own millennial childhood ha- have persisted. Goosebumps, hey. Doctor Who, and even cre- onla- classic online creepypasta like Salad wow. Fingers. That's awesome. The kids are all right. Maybe. No, the kids are definitely all right if they're like- talking Salad Fingers. That's uh, rad. I could not I could not be less in touch with Gen Z, but in thinking about like, you know, the the kind of horror sensations that have organically grown up around the youths, I was thinking about creepypasta stuff like the back rooms. I don't know what salad fingers is. But, <laughs> oh really? Should I Google salad um, fingers? You should. He'll go. You can watch the whole salad fingers. Um flash animated. We got some other emails that aren't necessarily the reviews, but if you back to the podcast, I'm going to pass that on uh, to our host. But here's two I wanted to address specifically. Marlon asks, uh, instead of decimals, why not have podcast numbers jump to 426 and progress forward? <laughs> then when David returns or when you're ready to do the quarter coil, do a lost style flashback and have that podcast be number 425. We don't do that because 425 would come like after episode 449 and we'd just be fucks. Like that's that's why. <laughs> that's why we use decimals. We did that uh, once even though, though. Don't you think? Uh-huh. Did we did. We? And that's how we realized the problem because we did a quarter quail and it was like, great new next quarter quail next month. And we were all just like, uh, uh, the other one is from Martin who was uh, very interested in Bo is afraid, not so interested in beef and is frustrated that we didn't do any, uh, Bo is afraid spoilers, but rang the spoiler Kong four minutes into beef. (laughs) He says, why not just use the spoiler gong? Like at the four minutes mark in both segments. Uh, the answer is because I want, people to pay to see Bo is Afraid if they're interested. And if they want to watch Beef and have a Netflix subscription, I think they should know what they're getting into. Uh, but and more we, of us had seen Beef, I think, was a big part of it. Like, we just had more to talk about. Yeah, I'm sure at some point we'll be coming back uh, to Bo is Afraid in some form, uh, and we can talk about the ending. But I still think we're uh, too far out to try to describe what happens at the end of that movie to people who haven't seen it. It would be fun. We should keep a list as the year goes on and being like movies we want to talk about the ending of. And like in August or something, we're like, OK, Mini let's segment. talk about the ending of Are You There? Got to be more. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the endings month. Yeah, I would love a spoiler month. Wait, does it turn out that Margaret and God are actually the same character? All along? You're going to have to go oh, see the movie oh, to find out, him. David. So thanks, George, Kelly, Marlon, Eric, Catherine and the Martin real puberty for sending is emails. the friends we make along the way. So as mean, always. That's not not the ending of Are You There, Kind of Free, Margaret. <laughs> uh, send us an email, podcast at gmail.com. Let's get on with the show.
as of midnight on May 2nd, uh, when, it, when it turned into May 2nd, the Writers Guild of America has formally declared the beginning of a strike. That means no writing. Uh, for uh, some of you that, you know, maybe this is your first WGA strike, a similar thing happened to all of us olds in uh, 2007, <laughs> 2008. Uh, when the man uh, wait i'm just gonna interrupt you for a hot second and say that it works someone uh mentioned that the reason that friday night light season two went off the rails and uh landry killed a guy is because of the writer's strike and people were like what i didn't know that and i was like oh 2007 is a long time ago i'm concerned yeah, revenge anyway. of the fallen transformers revenge of the fallen yeah people people need Quantum to know that, that, i mean that, maybe we'll get into that it that robot has balls because of the writer's strike. <laughs> now everybody it's not the writer's current... fault the key here is it's not the writer's fault that of, yes, uh, it's not. That the robot has balls. It's that the studios decided to continue on and try and make their damn movies instead of paying the writers. Quantum of Solace is another uh, 2007 victim, I think, yeah. where they were just like, we can make yeah. a Bond movie in our sleep. We don't need Although, Purvis and Wade. Quant- whatever. You cannot blame um, the writer yeah, strike yeah, on the decision to hire Mark Farr. Uh, hey, we, um, we interrupted you, Dave. Continue. This, I mean, well, this is going to affect Wait, a bunch of productions. Go ahead, David. Can anyone hear me? Okay. Yes. Yes. We um, I was. I am now on my second minute of trying to make a uh, Mark Foster Forster related joke. <laughs> Quantum Solace. Go on. It's not worth it at this point. I was just going to say, <laughs> not even a joke, so much as an accurate observation that the the writer strike had nothing to do with the creative decision of hiring Mark Forster to direct Quantum of Solace, mm. which <laughs> some would say doomed it more than any flaws of the script, but more than any robot there. balls. Well, you know, you, balls, you got to side eye the productions that aren't quite done, but have started up because these WGA uh, strike rules are a bit stricter than they were uh, last time around. Uh, so, like, uh, for instance, uh, once it looked like there was going to be a WGA strike, they've been in uh, negotiations for a new contract since January. So once it became obvious, Netflix started piling up these things they called joke books which is exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, alts, replacements, lines that they could use. Uh, but uh, the current WJ strike rules would uh, disallow even pulling from those joke books because uh, they were created as uh, by writers and are... Created just... to be scabs, inhuman scabs. Wait, Indeed. why are we focusing on the wga the rules of the strike more because we're than we're building, on the demands of the we're, strike? We're building a conversation. <laughs> it's, calling, it's calling a narrative. <laughs> Dave is a natural storyteller. We had we had narrative time here. All right. Well, if we're gonna get to it, uh, <laughs> the, the WGA, uh, when it did call a strike, did release a list of the demands it's made, and then the producers counter demands. Patches, you were looking at this earlier uh, than I was today. What's uh, was. some things? What's some things that stand out to you, and how could us normal people understand it? Yeah, and I, I think this is all lost in a lot of if you read movie and tv news this the, the actual core of the the strike or the negotiations over the contract might slip through the cracks i i do think it's important just to recognize what these writers are fighting for and what they're now out there on the street picketing for um and it really comes down to guaranteed money i think there's been a lot of lines from a lot of writers saying we don't want this to be a gig economy we want it to be we want to get paid. We want regular payment. We want it to be we, a career. We want security. And in the streaming area where we're like losing residuals and we're losing the commitment to, to pay writers. So there's just a lot of proposals about, you know, if a streaming feature has a budget of 12 million or more, uh, writers receive the full theatrical terms, which includes initial compensation and fair residuals. And 
the AMPTP, which is the organization that wraps all the studios together in this uh, negotiation, uh, it was like, nah. <laughs> like, maybe if they're over 96 minutes and a budget of 40 million or more, then you get like a meager percentage of what you're th talking about. And, and, it's, and it's all back and forth like that. A lot of the proposals that were set forth by the WGA Weekly pay, uh, a second step if you're hired for a screenplay. Um, all and and uh, well, we'll get there. But well, like these... eliminating things like mini rooms where you get hired to like create an yep. entire show, and then there's no guarantee that you'll actually get to make that show. Like you compare it to a gig economy, and I think it's like the way that freelancing or permalancing work has worked in media, um, which is very familiar to all of us. Where like there is just no security, even if you've had a hand in creating something really major that makes a ton of money, and you'll never know if it actually is watched by anybody because Netflix won't tell you. Like there's so much. Uh, lack of access built into the system now for writers to actually move forward with the stuff they create. Yeah, the idea that that they're fighting from a, a minimum staff of X amount of writers based on how many episodes their show will be in a writer's room. Preserving the writer's room is the line in the proposal that the WGA is fighting for. And, and a lot of these were not countered with like meager reactions from the studios. They were countered with rejected proposals refused to make a counter. Yes, there was, there was, there yeah. was a lot of there's no going there, there back proposals involved. Their kind of proposals a lot involved a lot of uh, we'll have an annual meeting to discuss the role of AI to discuss whether robots will replace yeah, you. Congratulations AI, uh, to you know be be credited on things and whatnot. So um, yeah, I mean the, the studios fucked up. They didn't play hardball. They are clearly on the wrong side of history here and the wrong side of. Fairness, uh, it is, I think, even more glaring than it was when there was the previous writer's strike in 2007 and DVD residuals were a big part of the pie and the argument, um, whereas now, the, in, like in those of the dawn of the streaming age and now all the conversation is around streamers, uh, the strike lasted 100 days and inevitably writers, though the WGA won, I, I mean, to the degree that anybody won, they, they got received an argument that aligned with their terms they didn't get exactly what they wanted but it was certainly some compensation and that feels to me like it is inevitably what's going to happen here why hollywood needs to um you know why they dragged this on knowing that it was it was going to happen why they're about to forfeit upwards of 500 million dollars or more as an industry and over in the billion dollars potentially as a state um it 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 boggles the mind. Uh, I think the streamers are just stubborn as, as fucking and thought that they could get away forever with having phony or you know just just private numbers um, so they could save themselves any sort of accountability or embarrassment. Uh, it's all fucked. It needed to happen. I but patches and David, Dave and Katie. Can any of you tell me a reason <laughs> why I shouldn't expect this strike to last? you know, a significant period of time. Seems like it's going to. I, I have a possible reason, which is at the end of May, two other guilds contracts go up and then it won't be WGA versus AMPTP. It'll be uh, the Director's Guild and SAG, right, Patches? Yeah, and they're, and they're all aligned on this. They're, you know, it sounds like BGA stands with WGA yeah. and they're all going well, they, together. They all... They all stand, but both unions also sent out an email last Friday that is basically like, until we are striking as a union, uh, they have to contractually 
show up for things they've already signed contracts for. So yeah, they're not crossing picket lines by going to work, but they still stand with the union. Yeah. So okay. because there are shows that are shooting right now that will continue to shoot. One big one in the first 24 hours of the strike was that House of the Dragon on HBO is going to shoot through. They completed all the scripts, couldn't possibly need any you know, on-set punch-ups or additional work there. All the scripts are done. They're going to they're gonna try and make a season two of a Game of Thrones show and and not give a shit. But uh, we'll see how that turns out. But there are, and I know that, like, Rings of Power season two is in the works already. So there's some big tentpole stuff that will continue to happen. But already we're seeing the effects of the strike. Like, Abbott Elementary, it's done. Cobra Kai opened its room and shut down its room. Yellow Jackets had, season three had one day in the room and they are closed. They're not open for business here. And, and, and even in this time, I, I'm not exactly sure what the difference here. And I think it's just hosts taking a stand and aligning with their writers this time. But in the 2000, what was it? Seven, is it 2007 strike? Um, yeah, we saw, yeah, the, we saw the late, late night, the late night shows went on Conan O'Brien uh, famously just spun his, just spun his uh, wedding ring. Yeah, that that uh, that could that Texas, could still can, happen. Can you hear me? Can anyone hear me? Yes, I can I hear, can hear you, David. David. You just can keep talking exactly over patches. No, you guys are like I, saying the same things. No, I think there's a lag. I think um, there's a lag. No, I don't think it's you being someone, rude. I think there's a weird lag. As someone who has many years of experience in talking over Matt Patches, I can tell you, I, I have. <laughs> we can cut a, this part out. This, uh, we are like the nah, members no, no, of no, no. Band, Everyone needs to know. Uh, okay, great. Where I think we've played together long enough to know. When there's something screwy with the sound, um, we never we never find the right. I'm just gonna let you go. We always know here. just how wrong we are. Anyway, you were yes. talking about Conan. <laughs> it's a long way of saying that my my beloved bestie Conan O'Brien did go on the air and do gags like the one that's been recirculating on Twitter recently, where he tried to see how long he could spin his wedding ring on his desk which is um, which which is segment. great but it didn't start it happened after the strike had been going on for so long they had to bring people back to gotcha, work gotcha gotcha so that's the same thing that's happening now i'm sure jimmy fallon will be back on the air doing some dumb shit in like 3 or 4 weeks wow. because other people work there but that's the thing the this might be shorter just because uh they have to make a deal with three uh guilds at this point and the writers guild has said we're holding this line and the director's guild's gonna hold the line and sag's gonna hold the line if it's close enough to the same line that is everybody stopping and they have a ticking clock to get anything on the air in like the next year so it is a possibility this one's shorter uh but that also uh depends on uh the studios biting the wall street hand which i also don't see happening easily yeah i mean the fucked up thing is like some of these movies are in the middle of production, Tom Cruise is currently suspended in midair over a giant <laughs> dam in Tanzania. Captain America, until world, yeah. Captain America New World Order might be the first Marvel movie to end exactly as it was scripted in the history of Marvel. <laughs> because it is in the middle of production right now. Fix it in post. Uh, can't. They, they can't. I'm sure I won't be able to tell the difference. I mean, they could fix it with editing, but like they can't, they can't do like new ADR lines or anything like that that's all restricted and wasn't restricted in the 2007-2008 thing so the the oh, definition of a scab has uh, expanded uh, just a little bit I would you know for my job it's job. it's been an interesting question of whether doing interviews for Emmy promotional stuff is uh, crossing a picket line and we don't really know yet like we're currently scheduling interviews with writers to you know talk about a scene on a show, show that's aired already but like 
maybe those will get canceled. Uh, and like, I mean, I don't think that's. I don't know. Scary. I think that's there's somewhere done. in the WGA that yeah, it's work done, but it's them doing mm, more work to promote the thing that the yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't honestly know Sticky. where the line is either. What so. about the people who write this podcast? Uh, <laughs> are we going to continue to be able to produce? New we're not represented by the WGA yeah, yet. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> we're we're like uh, we're like Fox News's late night show Gutfeld, which I was reading earlier is staying <laughs> on the air because they don't. Mm-hmm. None of their writers are union. I, would you believe that? Um, yeah, who who would have guessed? Gutfeld is well, sticking with it. So we're in league with Gutfeld. I guess knock, on, knock on wood, but uh, you know what show was hit its peak of popularity in 2008 it was Teen Mom. And guess what's still on the air? Teen oh, Mom. Wow. So that's what I was going to ask you. Do you think, I mean, after the 2007 strike, there was a huge boom in reality shows that could just pick up and, and shoot something and cut it up into something. I've, I've heard murmurs where maybe we'll just see this rise of the TikTok star right now like will every tiktok star get a television show in the next few months to just build tiktok time? stars are repped by sag after so they might be on strike soon too you might be right you might be right i'm wondering if we'll see a similar reality boom uh in the wake of this but maybe not if it doesn't go on too long and the I studios say, come to their senses i did recently see a tweet that in spirit i agreed with that was saying that you know critics and entertainment journalists should all side with wga because uh, we have nothing to write about without them and are also paid, uh, you know, below fair wage in a lot of cases and so on. And obviously we should just side with the WGA because they are on the, the right side of this argument in and conflict in every possible way. But that tweet used uh, the example of nobody wants to be writing about the 29th season of Love is Blind. And I'm just like, listen, yeah. I was with you. I was with you <laughs> until then. Because that sounded pretty damn good. Uh, so, you know. Union let's, forever, let's, but also Love is Blind Let's try and not make this okay. uh, detente sound like uh, a win for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> All the strikes will go on. Yep, it's a complicated situation. This won't be the last time you hear about it. I almost guarantee. Uh, eyes on, you know, Captain America, New Year World Order. We all thought that Fede Alvarez alien project was going to be good. Guess what's in the middle of shooting and can't alter its script? That one. Uh, so, you know, they lots of things are on the watch that list now. That's, uh, come on, people. Finish your scripts before you shoot a movie. I mean, the good, the best news of the strike is that there's already a Transformers movie in the can that's coming out this summer. <laughs> there will not be, be no future Transformers movie with big <laughs> robot balls. You don't well, know also, they didn't write it on purpose big robot this time. In this one. Oh, that's true. Adam. Yeah. yeah. Also, how is Blue Beetle not somehow related to the, the greater Transformers universe? Or is it? You're asking. No, Isn't no, it a that's, DC is movie? Separate. That's DC, yeah. Why, do, why does the, the name Blue Beetle so strongly evoke Transformers for me? Volkswagen? Because a Beatles a car? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I was like, there was a hot minute there where I was like, are we having two movies in the broader Transformers universe this summer? It really is a flashback to the last Writers, episode. please, studios, work it out with writers. We need them to come back and write better stories so David understands the worlds mm. and the lore. Mm. Can yeah. I actually ask a question on behalf of listeners who might uh, be less engaged than we are? Is there anything people, us or listeners or just anyone need to do to stand with the WGA other than... Well, I don't, I don't of, have a picket line I can cross. There are a lot of funds to supply okay. the writers just with like picket line food and water. And I mean, a lot of people are going to be, be like, not, not be like everybody's money, so. be like everybody's hero, Jay Leno, and just take some donuts down to the picket lines. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, I, would, uh, I would say also make it make it part of your conversations like the chat GDP subreddit uh, today is about 
applying things to the WGA, which is exactly the type of conversation we should be having because that was one of the points. So just make it part of your conversation because, you know, all these people gave you stories to do mindless stuff with. The least you could do is just sort of boost their story uh, by the slightest bit. But I have been monitoring the Twitter and some of my WGA and pre-WGA friends, and we are not at the point where they are encouraging boycotts. So stream all you want, watch your shows. We're not there yet. Uh, it's more just about boosting the, the strike itself. You should actually as... watch uh, narrative content that has writers behind it because that will force the studios to pay writers for future seasons. They need people to come Here we back are and make going up jokes. against Love is Blind again. You know, Don't watch <laughs> reality shit. We don't have to divide people. Leave, leave Below Deck and Summer House alone. But once, you know, once you've watched the new episodes of those shows on Monday night, please turn all of your attention I didn't hear any to. Of that. Uh, this makes me feel better. This is yeah, not my the fault Rangers have been eliminated from the playoffs. David, we um, lost you for a chunk of that. Yeah, that oh, yeah, I heard the Raiders well, have been eliminated from the playoffs. I wasn't saying anything of value. <laughs> well, that's a WGA strike. Let's move on. It was foretold that you would be here. Our long-awaited meeting has come at last. I'm glad I gave you something to look forward to. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. On this week's mini segment, we're going to talk about something that is uh, not union repped, actually. If you really want to mm. divert your attention, if you're a WJ writer and you need some work. No, no, wait, that might be scabbing. I'm not encouraging this, but I am saying that video game writers also deserve a union, but they are not represented by the WJ. It's unfortunate. We're talking about a video mm. game, a massive triple-A sequel called Star Wars Jedi Survivor. This game is from a Respawn. They put out the original Jedi Fallen Order, I believe in 2019, in the before times. Uh, very fuzzy uh, memory. <laughs> and there was a lot of Star Wars happenings in this, in this game. Dave, you might have a more accurate sense of the, of the timeline, but this is taking place after, you know, years after Order 66, but before the original trilogy, so it's kind of between prequel and original trilogy and picking up it with, takes place at yeah. the same time as the obi-wan kenobi disney plus series this new game does yes this new yeah. game does so yeah fall in order the first game from 2019 follows this jedi as we've learned over the years many people survived already order 66 luke skywalker mm -hmm. was not the only jedi uh there are many and they make for good stories it's, it's a little convoluted why he's the chosen one and why he was told he was the only jedi but well, let's move past that uh, you do not understand the lore. I'm doing the force hand right now. Um, <laughs> the main character in this game is Cal Kestis, Katie. You're not familiar because uh -huh. you haven't played the video game. You've seen the movies. But Cal, he's played by some schmo from Shameless. I forget his name. Uh, he has red hair. Not you, the one who's on the bear Shame now. Did any of us watch Shameless? It's like 12 seasons long. Did we get no, did any like of us Showtime or something Shame that I don't have? This is interesting. It's a big show, I guess. We didn't watch Joanna it. Robinson watched it. I do know that. Anyway, this guy from Shameless mo-capped Cam Cameron Monaghan. There he is. And um, it looks like him. Like, they really put an actor in this game I, to go I play. I did not know that... <laughs> I did not know that he was a like that they that the, he's a real the actor actor the character in the video game was as ident it was like an identical likeness of the actor playing him and so when I saw the commercial they've been running last night where he is in the studio doing the mocap work and Mark Hamill is there and oh, yeah. they're joking around I was I thought I was seeing some sort of like deep fake 
<laughs> I think my brain was deeply confused. They brought him to real life. Um, no, he's a real person. And in Jedi Fallen Order, I'm not even going to attempt to recap the story of this game, but you know, he learn he comes into his own as a Jedi and meets some Inquisitors. Which, Katie, I don't know if you know what an Inquisitor is. They're not in the Star Wars movies unless you watch Obi Wan. Wow. Are the you show. calling Katie a dumbass? Is oh, it not a what a big geek girl? <laughs> Is it not what like a yeah, tell me what Christie was is. in the chrome stormtrooper outfit? Oh no, mm-hmm. no, no. No. That's just she was just a stormtrooper. Yeah, tell me what's an inquisitor. Mm-hmm. No, they are they're kind of Jedi. Honestly, I'm now thinking of Charlotte <laughs> Rampling as the witch in the Dune movies. I'm way off track. Actually, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. If it's <laughs> If it's any consolation, I, I oh beat boy. the... How many beat, Star Wars races do we need to explain to Katie, Katie for this? The Inquisitors uh, work, work for the Empire. They're Jedi kind of, too, and they go around and try and kill Jedi. Wait, wait, wait. They're Jedi who work for the Empire. Yeah, they used to, I don't know that you could do Jedi. that. Yes, they are four sensitive individuals who have been hired by Darth Vader specifically to hunt down the remaining Jedi. Okay, okay. This has been a long preamble. If, it, if it's any consolation, <laughs> I beat the first game and yeah. am about 10 hours into the second game, and I could not answer the question any better than you just did. Let's yeah. just all so. remember that you got me playing Marvel Snap, but I know who Jubilee is yeah, now. We'll so, you know, I, wow, I, wow. I am capable of learning. Yes. Um, I mean, I know that she uh, uh, reduces all the power in other people's cards. I don't know what the actual character no, does. No, I'm sorry, Katie. That's actually not what she does. No, she brings the No, that's not what Rogue does either. No, Rogue takes the ongoing. Do we need to have a Marvel Snap education <laughs> session here? We need an intervention. This is hard I mean, to listen to. Yes, but probably not We're on the podcast. We're crossing the streams. This is a mini segment about Jedi Survivor, the new Cal Kestis game. Here's right, my question for the guy. Let me tell you guys the most Wait, important I, thing about Jedi, uh, Jedi I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Nah, I want to hand the microphone to you. Oh. Jedi, I thought Jedi Fallen Order was a blast. I had a lot of fun playing and living in a Star Wars game. It, like The Force powers were really good. Uh, you could lightsaber battle and it all came pretty naturally i had a fun time i'm i didn't know how the sequel could really one-up itself but i'm really i'm really into it again it's like an old friend it's like a good movie i i think this is how you tell star wars stories uh, right now do you like your, this game did it level up for you you're are you your take kind of baffle your take kind of baffles <laughs> me because the previous star wars the jedi what the fuck was it called? Fallen First Order. Order. Fallen, sure. Fallen Order is a mediocre Souls right Souls Light ripoff. Uh, that Definitely, is, but it's extremely... easier than a Souls game. Oh, of course, but that is not to its credit. Uh, but it is very janky. Um, the level design is mediocre. The lack of fast travel is a nightmare. The combat is okay, but really only takes off towards the end of the game. Room for improvement absolutely abounded. I mean, I think the potential was was there. I think the first game was underwhelming. Probably wouldn't have been interested in buying a sequel if not for how all the previews were emphasizing just how enormous the strides were that had been made in between the two and how much bigger and better developed this game was, how smart it was to start with Cal's character already having the, the skills and the talent that you develop over the course of the first game rather than doing the typical video game thing of sort of setting you back to zero at the start of this. And then opening up the world a little bit. Um, It's not necessarily an open world game, but there is a sense of uh, being able. There are open world areas. There's a little bit more freedom in how you approach the levels. uh, And the level design doesn't feel quite as suffocating as it used to. The combat is a lot smoother, even if the game itself is still pretty fucking janky. Uh, But there is a lot more poly. And and also the most annoying thing for the first game is just as someone who tends to be completist when they play games, like at least going, making sure that if there 
is a fork in the road. I'm always making sure to check both paths. Uh, it annoyed me to no end that every bit of treasure you would find in the previous game was a purely cosmetic enhancement because I could <laughs> not give a shit what mullet uh, Cal was wearing. Yeah, or, and, uh, yeah. and mutton um, shops. And, it's, mm-hmm. and fully bearded this game this at game. least... This game repeats that, but at least adds some like more valuable currencies you can discover, you, items you can trade in at shops, uh, a little base that you have. Yeah, and you have to buy planet. your upgrades now. That's a yeah. That's well, a but the upgrades difference. are you know it's a little bit more reward. But generally, I think uh, in large part because you know Cal's older now, and you start with a greater arsenal of of techniques, and you can have different lightsaber stances. Um, and the game does feel more fun from the get go. Uh, I do wish it were harder. I could always up the difficulty level, but I'm always resident, hesitant to do that because I don't know. I, I feel like games, the choice, uh, the choice is a lot of pressure for me. It's like, I feel like games should be played at the level that they were intended so to be played. it's too easy, but you um, know you have like two levels above hard. <laughs> you could go really, yeah, really hard. I would rather it just be hard. I would rather, you know, it'd be more like a Souls game oh, in that sense. God. But, um, but oh. it, I'm having a lot more fun playing this one than I remember having the first one, which kind of felt like I was... There was a lot of drudgery in the first one. I haven't really encountered that this time around. And another big difference is that I am playing this one with another human. He's three years old. He didn't really exist, uh, if he existed at all, by the time the last one came out. And it delights him to absolutely no end that when you change the shade, like whatever color you decide to make Cal's lightsaber is the color that your PlayStation 5 controller glows. Uh, and you know, that is kind of mind blowing to him, maybe mind blowing to me as well. And also, you know, every time it's a workbench, we will redesign BD one, this little adorable robot Mm -hmm. companion who is absolutely movie worthy. Um, that's the one thing Star Wars almost always gets right. Uh, and, um, and whenever there's not a workbench, he's saying, Dada, where's a workbench? So, oh, and his other favorite thing is that there's a character named Grease, G-R-E-E-Z. Mm-hmm. And it turns out if you're three years old, Grease is a really fun word to say. I can't believe he doesn't love <laughs> Turgle, so, the giant frog character. The Kermedian? Um, I love that. Turgle's okay. You can ride shit now, which is fun. Yes. There's like mm-hmm. this weird dinosaur looking creature that his legs are like 30 feet tall and has no body <laughs> it's just you walk you, you can walk up Wars, even baby. if the water is there's there's sand dunes or whatever yeah it's it's fun i mean i still wish that i would love for this world and this formula to um just be made by from software just to make like go full dark souls full elton ring on it um but this is not that it is not intended to be it's intended to sort of drift off of that and this does this a lot does that a lot better than the previous one. I felt like the sense of improvement was akin to the improvement and the scaling up of Horizon Forbidden West over Horizon Zero Dawn. And while I haven't finished this game, I would imagine that they have a a sequel in mind and we're gonna round out a trilogy. And I would hope that the third installment in the franchise continues that trajectory of getting uh, exponentially better, because then maybe finally they will arrive at a truly <laughs> great game as opposed to a uh, a fun, good one. Dave, what do you think? Uh, so I'm in a bit slightly different place than my other co-hosts. You're far I ahead. Have, I've gotten through the story. I have all my abilities. I'm just going through knocking off the percentages and trophies. This came. Uh, this which, game came out like five days ago, and you're all done. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And you have uh, no very, children, just to uh, reiterate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that definitely that helps. Key difference. I also have been uh, binging a true crime podcast. So after I finished the story and I got to the uh, general uh, hunting 
Uh, I mostly listen to it as a podcast with the TV muted, but my controller still makes all the BD1 sounds, so I don't actually miss pickups because the controller makes mm. the sound. So that's fun. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's good. Um, I I think it's a lot of fun if you're aware of the Star Wars uh, expanded universe. Uh, there's some Hidden Path shoutouts. That's the Obi-Wan uh, Kenobi show. There's some High Republic. There's lots the High of High Republic, Republic stuff. stuff is pretty cool. I they are really trying to make uh, fetch happen with the High Republic stuff. I don't know if anyone really reads the books, or I mean, there's certainly like a faction out there that's hardcore reading all EU in Star Wars. But like mm-hmm. with the acolyte and the amount of High Republic they've put into this game, they're do there's another High Republic focused game coming in down the pipe. Uh, I'm surprised that they're re- like Lucasfilm all in on making High Republic stick. It's kind of cool. I mean, the vibe you know, they have cool robes. That's my big take. Yeah, away. well, and they they have more ornate sort of technology. So it's like the original Star Wars is like it's all busted stuff that's just like barely being held together. And then the old Republic was look at Dave Matthews Band reference. Yeah, sure. busted <laughs> stuff. The uh, the Republic that we saw in the prequel series was all like shiny and new stuff, but it was sort of it started to feel like the Republic was samey, laying way for the Empire. The High Republic is like first attempt to tame a wild galaxy, which is sort of why it's fun. And that's also sort of why this game is fun is because a lot of Star Wars games are putting you into what is more traditionally Star Wars. You're running around uh, Tatooine or you're on like a. Yeah, exactly. This one is you're in like wilderness jungles or Mm. abandoned uh, sort of outposts that used to be important hundreds of years ago. And that's what sort of makes the traversal uh, really fun. I was surprised this time, game has a gardening aspect. Uh, not what I it expected has a gardening from a, aspect. a Star Wars game. But. It has a great accessibility option uh, that it has called the arachnophobia option that turns all uh, spider-shaped enemies into different enemies that aren't shaped like spiders. I think, I think it's a really fun game. I'm enjoying... I enjoyed the story, but I'm also enjoying the end game part because I didn't do a lot of exploration before the story was done. Because once the story's done, you've unlocked all your powers. So now I'm like flying around. Not only am I like riding things, but I'm jumping through force fields and triple jumping and running along. Yeah, he, walls. Cal, the, Cal is very agile. It's, He's ready for Cirque du Soleil. I mean, it is fun to hopping around the world. Um, yeah. But does the game get harder is there more of a challenge just change the setting man (laughs) make it harder Uh, if the game's not hard for you now and you've started unlocking stances you should put the the... i'm just like you put on the double lightsaber thing and just twirl into enemies all around you and basically everyone dies i mean that's the thing that's what i like about the game like you can set it to hey i'm gonna tell you whenever you use your force power so you can get through this like katie could play this game no offense katie um wow but um, if you want to play it for the story, you can play it. And we're like, I don't want to get too stuck. I want it to be challenging, but I want to live the story. But if you want to go harder, you if you were you, you could do that very easily. I just, give you first, all the first of all, I, I, I hate myself and I need any video game I devote this much time to to hate me just as much. <laughs> and second of all, I, yeah, like when a, when a bounty hunter drops in in the middle of nowhere um and it's acting all tough talking a big game i want to feel a sense of accomplishment when i lightsaber his legs off that's all yeah i mean that's how it's gonna be if you have it on one of the, the like easier modes but uh yeah i don't know that 
it, it, I think it is possible to be hard because they like Patches of saying it has two difficulty settings uh, above the past one and then all these different uh, separately upgradable stances and most of the hardest bosses, the so-called legendary bosses, are not on the story path. Uh, you get to those later. So, you know, there's stuff mm. like that. I don't know. I don't want to bore Katie too much. Star Wars Jedi Survivor. <laughs> it's out. I'm only rushing through it because I have like 10 days till Zelda comes there out. Go. And Tears of the like, Kingdom. All, See you guys later. Already stuff's leaking that's making me super excited. So uh, Star Wars Jedi, Jedi Survivor, you came out at a time that I'm just going to beat you as fast as humanly possible. Well, Dave, you and I both saw a movie called Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And I think we both probably flash back on our adolescences and buying our first bras and uh, talking to our mm. friends about getting their periods. It was a, it was a real universal experience for, for both of us. In buying this movie, right? your first bra, Jade? No, I, I do not remember here? that. Okay. Uh, no, well, I mean, we can talk about this. I read Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Before I hit puberty, I think I think it probably would I when I was like nine, which I think is pretty common. And I think this movie, the book by Judy Bloom, uh, written in I think published in 1970, um, set up for me a lot of the things like, well, this is going to be a big deal, and this is what it's going to be like. And mm. I sometimes now that I look back, I'm like, was that a big deal to me, or did I just expect it to be because of reading Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is the power of this book because it makes you feel like you're very much in this girl's head and you feel very invested in the world that she lives in. And I think it's also the power of this movie uh, directed by Kelly Freeman Craig, director of Edge of 17, who has not made a movie since then. I don't think um, she's done some TV it's once I again and written some scripts. I just got an email about okay. another movie that she's written for lines. No. Oh. Uh, well, she and James L. Brooks teamed up for this one again. Um, God bless that relationship, I, by the way. God bless James L. Brooks just cashing in all the Simpsons chips and just making racy films, movies with like. I cannot tell you champion. how wild it is to be in a movie theater and see the Gracie Films logo come up on a big screen. And it's not followed by the 20th Century Fox like trumpet player. It's very strange. I mean, it's before his you know movies like Broadcast News, which I've seen many times, but I haven't seen it on the big screen. Maybe I should. Um, anyway, he's back for this. And I did see uh, like a film colleague of ours say about this relationship, it's so good of James L. Brooks to have a succession plan for James L. Brooks. Um, <laughs> and th it, when you frame this movie and I think Edge of 17 in this way. They're not topics that James L. Brooks would tackle, but they are human and funny and specific and warm in ways that are very familiar from the best of what James L. Brooks does. Um, I loved Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret so much. I had a great time sitting in a theater by myself. I went on a Monday night at 9 p.m. at a Schmancy movie theater. And it's not doing in the well recliner. if you were sitting alone in the theater. I mean, it's a movie for teenagers. And it was 9 p.m. on a Monday. Like, it's not doing that well, but I'm not going to hold that screening Fair against enough. it. Um, but I just, like, laughed out loud alone in the theater and then cried at the end. Um, I had a ball. And Dave, it sounds like you did, too. Yeah, I did. Uh, I was just a, you know, in case you need to know, uh, straight male cis person. I was one of, I think I ended up being three uh, male presenting uh, people in the theater. Uh, of, out of how was, many people? 
Oh, I don't know. It was like 40 or 50. I went at like a 7 Ooh. o'clock on a Saturday. I was Saturday, you were going to say 3. <laughs> uh, they were, everyone yeah. in the theater was. All the doll men. Oh, no. was uh, a weird middle-aged man. <laughs> a weird middle-aged man. You uh, love Judy Blume no, too? Was a lot- Sweet. <laughs> there was a lot of families. There was a group of several moms, and I assume they're teenage daughters, or maybe it was just several moms and like a church group of teenage girls. I don't know, but uh, like over a dozen... Uh, that all came in and I was like, oh, oh, wow. And there was one other dude who was like me who sat by himself and was just there for who knows what reason. Maybe he had to review it for a podcast. <laughs> uh, but I really had uh, bolstered myself for like, this is, you know, cinema that is absolutely not for you. So uh, I'm not looking for, you know, the hooks uh, that are specifically supposed to draw me into it. I'm just looking for general hooks for a general audience. And then uh, I saw it at the Alamo. I got my uh, check meeting. There was like 15 minutes left of the movie. And I was like, oh, my God, I want this movie to go on for another hour. What happens to this <laughs> little girl and her mom as they continue like dealing with like real family shit? Uh, so even though I've uh, never gotten a period and uh, I only uh, knew the we must increase our bust chant uh, from uh, my mom uh, did it when she saw me reading Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret when I was like seven or eight. And oh, I was you? like, that's so weird. You read it when you were a kid. Yeah. So I was really into children's literature as a way as of, a I thought, yeah, well, yeah, I thought as, you know, because pre-internet books were how you got information. I had no sisters. What are girls talking about? What are they like? Mm-hmm. So that's what got me into the uh, Babysitter's Club, which is where I followed Katie to the Netflix adaptation. Well, and really I think the it. Babysitter's Club in this movie really uh, go hand in hand. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing like the Boxcar Children, which taught me nothing useful. So, oh. you know. What are you talking about? Love the Boxcar, the boxcar Children. All in. Did I mean, you ever, are- like... Go play in the woods and be like, I could survive out in the woods by myself, like yes. the boxcar children. I could do this. I had a, I had a, yeah. I had a pair of friends who ran away from school for that exact reason that they were so wow. enabled by like kids on the lamb, kids living off the land, <laughs> literature that they like one day in fourth grade were like, peace, we we're going into the woods, and they had to like lock down the school and go search for them. It was awesome. I congratulate them to this day. And I think what really carried over from my memories of reading the book and how it didn't have a lot of impact on me is this movie has the exact same, uh, I'm stealing a little bit from Java here because we were talking about it, the exact same empathy that Judy Bloom has for people that she can put herself inside of, but like she's not an 11-year-old girl anymore. So the the idea that they do that and then also keep the movie set in 1970, I think it's really smart because you know what I don't want? Is anybody Wikipediaing bras uh, like in this in the middle of this narrative? Chat GPT, I mean, what I is s- a bra? Imagining <laughs> what adolescence is like. Ugh, I mean, oh, I mean man. listeners may have adolescence children, but like in the we'll era of the internet, like it's just so different. Can, can I ask you mm-hmm. having your? Can I ask you guys a question? I, I did not read the book as a as a youth. I yeah. did not get into Judy Bloom. I just did not get like pushed toward literature when i was younger you were you read boy stuff that was cool no no not even that like i just didn't have like a reading family um not to not my parents fault. dad if you're listening you kind of they read my patches. patches just threw his pot his <laughs> ipod across the room you read some books whatever uh encyclopedia brown was where it was at uh which is why i like murder books. she wrote uh so mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I'm, I'm not sure like what the thrust of the actual plot is. You keep talking about having your oh. period. Is the movie about when she gets her period and the, all the fallout? Well, 
There's so the couple, movie, that's a, yeah. So the movie, ahead. and like, and I haven't read the book in a long time, but the movie follows the format of like a like Mean Girls, like a year in school. Like she starts mm. sixth grade at the beginning. Of, well, actually, the movie starts with her at summer camp, and then she finds out that her family, uh, her mom is Rachel McAdams, her dad is Benny Safdie. Did you know this? Did you know that Benny Safdie plays the uh, cuddly dad I, in uh, Are You There, Guys? Be Margaret. Uh, he's he's fine in it. Um, that they're moving to New Jersey because he's gotten a new job. So she has to start sixth grade at a new school. She makes a new friend and she's in this like secret club of girls where they meet. They can't wear socks and they talk about how they want to uh, get bras and grow boobs and get their period. Uh, she has a crush on this kid who lives, he, like lives down the street and mows the lawn. Um, she wants to get her period. She, there's another girl in class who like has boobs and everyone thinks that means that she like lets boys feel her up and they're mean to her. And she kind of learns the lesson of her ways on that. Um, and then what the movie I believe adds, and again, I haven't read the book in a while is there's a lot with her mom who's played by Rachel McAdams. She's like, right. she's like this hippie woman in the seventies and she's trying to fit in with the other PTA mom. She's quit working. So she's like really throwing herself into things, but kind of like not thriving all of that well in suburban life so there's this really nice thread between mother and daughter of like trying to fit in trying to throw yourself into things like how much do you adapt yourself to the people around you and how much do you remain yourself and it's not as simple as like be true to yourself and you'll be fine it's a much more nuanced movie than that which i really appreciate i mean it gets into the stuff with um the mom's parents who, who she hasn't talked to because she married a Jew and they did rejected her for there that. And I was again, I didn't remember you, that from the book. <laughs> there's a large part of the book yeah. where oh, okay. she has been raised. Her mom's a Christian. Her dad's a Jew. She has been raised where she gets to choose her own religion, quote unquote, when she's old enough. So as part of a school project this year in sixth grade, she decides to try to choose a religion. That is the basis of the title. She is uh. praying to a God that she's not sure exists and she's trying to figure out what uh, other people find in their religious mm. beliefs. So not only is she coming of age uh, hormonally, uh, but she's coming of age in her religious outlook. The little questions, the big questions, every question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm going to agree with Katie that uh, the Rachel McAdams of this movie is really the secret sauce because the narrative... Uh, you know, pretty tried and true. If you like, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Lots of people like it uh, since it was published, and there's uh, that's uh, because it's very likable. Uh, but the Rachel McAdams stuff that they added, uh, so much depends on Rachel McAdams acting a full range of emotions in silent scenes, mm -hmm. uh, which she really pulls off uh, in an amazing way. And they also add a scene of her attempting to paint a bird that was just like that. That is my life. <laughs> trying to do something creative but also pay the bills uh it's like that's it um uh, yeah she i mean she plays this really ideal kind of mom where she's very supportive like margaret insists on going to shoes not wearing any socks because her new friend says she can't wear socks and her mom's like but you're gonna get blisters and i'm just gonna say one more time you should not you should wear your socks but i'll let it go and let you make your own mistakes and she's kind of really and i watched the age of 17 kelly freeman craig's previous feature and the mom in that is played by kira sedgwick and the teenager is older and she's really struggling with giving her daughter that independence so you kind of see rachel mcadams as the idealized version of that but the emotion that she captures talking about her parents and then at the very end of the movie like the last shot of her the mix of feelings you see on her face is it's amazing like it is such a good performance and not like overarching like the movie is really good around her it's not like she's elevating the material but it, like, it really trusts her to carry so much emotional weight that i think the girl who's at the center of the movie who plays margaret whose name i don't have handy but 
I will pull it up. Abby Ryder Fortson. Yeah, she's really good in it, but she's not going to carry the like, you know, weight of knowing that you're growing up. She's just not old enough. And Rachel McAdams really picks up all Mm. of that so amazingly well. If I, I, a father of a daughter, see this movie, I'm going to get slammed in the wall. You might flip the fuck out. (laughs) Yeah, you might have a lot of feelings. I mean, I had a lot of feelings about it. Five years old. She's about to go to kindergarten this fall. And I'm like, you're big. What the fuck? You're getting old. I know. I know. Uh, and that's, you know, part of what this is about is about her, this mother, like watching her daughter make some mistakes, but also the mother is making mistakes. Right. Like there's a scene where Margaret kind of like blows up at her family and storms out of the room. And, you know, Rachel McAdams as mom is just like, this was my fault. Like she takes responsibility for like the way that she's supposed to protect her daughter, even though she's trying to like be kind of free and hippy dippy about it and let her make her own decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, not there's through so monologue, mostly through gesture. I love that scene. Yeah. I love the, how this movie roots you so much in Margaret's hopelessness uh, that is very much on the surface. She's talking to God about it through voiceover. The scenes are sort of built so you could see how uh, things are sort of needling at Margaret. Uh, where they, at one point, they all, every, all the girls in the club have to write down the guy they like. They all like write down the same guy except for her, and she has to embarrassingly lie about it. That's all great. But then in the like, back half of the movie, Margaret runs into her mom. And the movie carries on a sort of like a dual uh, protagonist. Not that there's any antagonist here. That's one of the great things about Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Uh, Everybody, you're able to extend. uh, I'm going to give Kelly Freeman Craig uh, the the credit for this. You're able to extend empathy to all of these people, even Mm -hmm. the mean girls. Um, even like gets, the, the like snooty mom of the mean girl yeah. you know like she's kind of <laughs> silly with her like 60s helmet hair but like she's a person yeah and she has dumb ideas then she voice work on other people and you could be like i'm <laughs> building to like a you know a showdown between moms uh but mm-hmm. you're not because that's mm-hmm. not how life is everybody's yep. out there trying to do its thing and sometimes it's hard to just try and pretend like everything's okay and that's uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And yeah, I teared up a little bit at the end of this oh movie God. that was absolutely not for me. But oh, luckily, I was so sitting good. in the back corner, so none of the uh, large gaggle of teenage girls saw, saw me crying uh, into my mask. That would have been very sad. Do you feel like having read this when you were eight or nine, like you did understand girls better? Because the movie is just so like this unvarnished window into like teen girls being like obsessed with boys, but also scared of them and like... You know, Margaret does like seven minutes in heaven and like has Mm -hmm. no idea what to do when she gets in there, even though it's this boy who like is super cute and she should have a crush on. Like, do you you think it served you well reading it, Dave? I mean, the two things that it did help me out with is, yes, at boy girl parties, they are just as terrified as me. That really helped (laughs) knowing that. Yeah. And uh, two, there's a scene in the book that is also in the movie where they're like, what, you haven't seen a playboy? And just the idea that that early on. Mm-hmm. everybody's looking at Playboy to be like, that's the female form. Really, I mean, it's not right, but it, yeah. it pre-internet porn, it made me feel like, oh, so we're all working off the same base here. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they show a like vintage uh, anatomical video. I don't know if it's a real one, but it feels like it just like showing how periods work and the like the shedding of the lining. And it's so... Mm-hmm insane that that is what happened like made me like think about periods all over Wait, again uh, like it's insane like are, what the period is what yeah exactly just being made like jesus christ that happens all the time and it's so nuts no wonder these girls are obsessed with it and like scared of it and everything else everything about the human body <laughs> suddenly you're, there's just blood everywhere yeah no i mean 
I eventually grew to the age after my 20s because hormones, but eventually grew to the age where I'm just like, all human sexuality uh, viewed from afar is disgusting. Yeah. Just like, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have, okay, just think about your face. Don't even think about sexual okay. organs. Think about your face. You got a skin. Yeah. It protects you from stuff. You've got very poppable set eyes. Poppable and the only thing protecting eyes. Them is, okay. Yeah. By poking, <laughs> by, you know, anything. The only thing protecting them is a little lash sure. that waters. Uh, below are uh, two breathing holes, yeah. uh, which are facing down, uh, is another hole that Big creates hole. its own moisture, has a uh, muscle that allows us to change. <laughs> yeah, a muscle allows us to change <laughs> the airflow coming out and to make different sounds and parts of our skeleton sticking through. That's terrifying. And then Picture you walking. And then, yeah, like, human sexuality is that you want to take your version of that and put it on someone else's. And for some exactly. reason, that's or inside someone yeah. else's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You really, it's you really gross. have to. Go, yeah. It's so the fact that, awesome. like, I mean, that's just. I'm just saying that's why it makes more Everything sense about the body to these weird. girls. Do you know where blood comes from, guys? Do you know where how blood is made? Water. It comes like out of your we bones. We drink water, so we. What? It comes out of your bones. Yeah, that's why folks. we have. That's why when you need a blood transplant, you transplant bone marrow. Yeah. You need. <gasps> yeah. Bones to make blood. What the fuck Look, man, is the body? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, humans are, are weird biologically. I, of course, we're definitely did not we prepare this. us I for this. I probably learned this in bio in high school, but now my life is listening to podcasts with my daughter about, like, why is this? Why? How is mm -hmm. blood made? And I'm like, ha, ah, this is what's for kids. That? Listen to this and learn that. Wait, what? Blood is made from the what's bones? The, what's the good one of that you listen to? Because I need some new ones. Right now, okay. Well, uh, we're pivoting well, from what's it this called? movie to uh, who? Uh, well, there's no, a I just, few. just just tell me the name of it. What's the name of the podcast? Uh, one of them is Who Smarted. Obviously, that's okay. A little joke about who oh, farted. yeah. Uh huh. Um, uh huh. God, the other one is like, but why? All of them are like uh, this. And then on YouTube, we watched something yeah. called SciShow Kids, which is like a Hank Green okay. adjacent YouTube thing that is friendly YouTube content. And also, I just go on YouTube and search for questions. This is the what YouTube is good for. Just asking questions. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, girls oh, go yeah, on YouTube all the time. and say, "How? Why is periods?" And then they get a video. Imagine who is telling children today why they get their periods and how. Oh, you know what's kind of great about the way that this is focused on periods is because, like, so much, like, any everything about sexuality has it. Like, there's a weird filter put on it, and like, girls are like given ideas of sexuality at a really early age that are not appropriate but like culture doesn't do that about periods because men find them gross and so like girls are going to find out about periods basically the same way now that they did in what 1970 and it's just do that i don't disagree with you but i'm just like what is the right there's setting? not a there's not a fetishization of periods by like there's not like there's not i'm sure there's, there's porn about it but like you're not going to stumble across that the same way that you're gonna be like well if i have boobs i have to wear this kind of shirt and i should like show my belly there's not that kind of commodification they haven't of made the body around period periods what you're saying yeah it's like a thing that it's a thing that pretty much just girls talk about right still and like it still kind of belongs to them and to like women or yeah. you know people who have People who have periods in general, not just women. Um, anyway, it's not something that like belongs to culture as a whole, and I really kind of appreciate that that aspect of the movie too. Uh, did yeah? Wait to wrap up, if I don't mind. Yeah, getting slightly more personal. Okay, when you mentioned at the top, like these things that you were going through in your life, did getting your period was that like a 
big moment? No. And this is the thing is like, I remembered that I remember reading in that book that it was, I remember everyone talking about it all the time, obviously, but I feel like I very quickly moved on to being like, this kind of sucks. <laughs> I don't want to have to do this. Well, you talk about Which having is, a period with your boys. Um, I guess so. When? Why? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like they will need to, they'll learn about it. Like, I think I learned about basic like sex, like really early basic sex has stuff in like fourth grade. There's like the anatomy oh. aspect of it. Like how baby, like how babies are made, you know, like, right. and periods are part, that of that. part of that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they need to know about it. They should. It's not nearly as complicated and high stakes as it is for if you have a girl, but you know, when you have boys, all kinds of other shit comes up. So I had a friend who, uh, growing up, I won't reveal their name, but, uh, when they had their period, their mom bought them a rose bush. To commemorate the kid. Did that happen to you? Is that a common thing that happens? No, but I do. Is that making maybe too big a deal about it? Or I feel yeah. I feel like there's a I feel like there's a book. Oh, it's the movie Now and Then, I think, where one of the characters gets her period and her mother's like, Your garden of flowers has opened up and uh yeah, I think that's I don't think think I'm gonna buy my daughter a rose bush when she has her first period. No. I think I'm gonna probably not be too involved. I'll be there for her. My dad. My heart is open. Yeah. My dad jokingly plucked my first chest hair, so it's completely different for the other gender. (laughs) Wow. You're like, look, and he's like, yoink. And I'm like, oh, God, no. My manhood. Do you guys remember anything about puberty other than horrible awkwardness and um, anxiety? Nobody wants to know. Are you there, God? It's me, a flesh monster. That's David's version of puberty. I just kept muttering, blood comes from bones. Just like and somehow forgot that fact and, and had to relearn it on his shoulders. Blacked out. <laughs> and then I was a man. At the, <laughs> puberty is great because at the time you most want to be uh, attracting people, your body's like, you're going to look the worst you're ever uh-huh. going to look. Mm-hmm. You really I I just mean, have no control over it. I realize that aging is coming for us all, but I do think that I have never looked worse than I did when I was 12. Like, I think that was the, the peak. Oh, yeah. Between acne and haircuts, acne. I was definitely, oh. yeah, definitely doing poorly. Anyway, if you want to reminisce about your childhood, even if you didn't grow up in the 1970s, I think Katie and I are both saying, go check out Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Oh, it's please. just a delight. It's so good. Just, yeah, it goes by so fast. It makes you feel things. It makes you feel empathy for your younger self, I think. And like, if you, my God, if you have anyone close to tween age in your life who you know kind of already knows that periods exist uh take them to see this i feel like it's a public service that does it for this week's show we'll be back next week we're talking about guardians of the galaxy volume three i have learned uh that i did see the second one turns out uh you should probably remember what happens in it uh, Did you watch the Christmas special? No, no. Oh, you should, should I? probably do that. Oh, yeah, God. yes. Ugh. It's a, it's a, it's a holiday special. You'll be fine. All right. Um, David disappeared, uh, but in the meantime, everybody else, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, executive editor of Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. We have a website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com. Did we review Edge of Seventeen? That was my big question. I thought I forgot to to look up that movie is fantastic uh, too we didn't really talk about it on your are yeah. you there god uh segment but man really no, funny Haley steinfeld movie um and we uh, we haven't been doing this long enough to have recorded a podcast about the 
2007 WJ Strike, thank God. We're not that old. But it's still a good <laughs> podcast, fightingintheworm.com. Uh, David Ehrlich, who you could follow on Twitter, at David Ehrlich, would tell you if he were here to leave a review on the Apple Podcasts app, uh, if you're in the U.S., if you're wherever you are. Uh, but if you're in the U.S., we'll read them on the show. If you're wherever you are, you could email a copy of your review to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com, and we'll still get it in front of our eyes. Hey, guys, if you like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and are all caught up like me after seeing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, you might want to head over to themcubook.com, where you uh-huh. can order my book. Uh, called the MCU, the Reign of Marvel Studios, that comes out this November, the same week as the Marvels, the next MCU entry, theatrical entry. Check it out. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair and on the Little Gold Men podcast, where we talked about the strike some more this week. And there's new rules about Oscar campaigns, which are, uh, you know... Uh, nerdy, but if you are interested in such a thing, you can hear us talk about it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at K, uh, Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H, or all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you're welcome to tell us about your puberty experiences. Truly, tell us. Uh, or um, answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, what's cinema's most likable animal? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. I'm done.